I'm Andrew Schweitzer, and you're listening to the Boxing for Free podcast. You know, last week, Justin had asked me, just as I'm getting ready to go to work, do you have Saturday off? Because I really want you to cover the uh, Joe Smith Jr. and Artur Biterbiev uh, unification bout at light heavyweight. And I told him, I'm sorry, I I, I can't. I'm on kind of a six-day stretch, and then I've only got one day off, and then I'm back for a few more days. So unfortunately, no, I, I, I just can't. You know, I probably could have just told work I'm going to be a little bit late, but then I'll be in because the Joe Smith Artur Bitarbia fight did not last very long. Oh boy, um, kind of a mismatch. Looking at it after the fact, you know, beforehand, I, I think it's you know, Bitarbia obviously the uh, the favorite. I think it was 16 or 17 fights, all of them ending by knockout. And, you know, Joe Smith Jr. did hold the uh, WBO light heavyweight title. But looking at it, it's just like, okay, I think it's Beter Biev who's more accomplished. And uh, he certainly demonstrated that during the fight. Joe Smith uh, Jr. started out the fight doing the smart thing by constantly throwing his left jab. Uh, They commented that Artur kind of starts out pretty slow in his fights, but... I, I always look at that, he's being very analytical. He's looking for, okay, what are you doing that I can take advantage of later on in, in the round, or maybe even in the fight? Uh, Smith was fighting very bravely, almost to a fault, because Andre Ward said, you know, like, he's standing right in front of uh, Peter B, and that's brave, but that bravery eventually can catch up with you. And it seemed that after Artur got off his own shots and Smith started to taste that power, he stopped firing the jab with uh, as much intensity, and he was keeping his guard up really high. And towards the end of the round, Peter Biev was able to uh, get around the guard and score with an overhand right to get the first knockdown of the fight. And as the second round starts, they're trading punches back and forth, and you keep expecting Smith to go down, but he doesn't. You know, uh, as Artur backs up towards the ropes, he catches Smith coming in, Artur... Uh, throws a wide right hook, and it doesn't seem to catch Smith flush, but the power that he has is enough to drop Smith again. And like I, I, I thought that was actually going to be the end of the fight right there. And you have to remember, prior to this, Artur, or sorry, Joe Smith Jr. had never been knocked down as a as a professional or as an amateur. So it's kind of like okay, pretty solid chin, and yet you know. Peter Biev dropped him twice in the first round, and it's like in, he, he's dropped him three times in a span of less than four minutes. I I think you can hear Andre Ward uh, on the commentary at one point say that Smith has just abandoned his game plan, and now he's a fighter that's ready to be knocked out, and that happened with less than a minute left in the round. Peter Biev was landing these hard uppercuts. Smith goes wobbling away, kind of, it's like a drunk guy. You know, leaving the pub for the evening, so pretty much how I look. And the referee immediately, as soon as like Smith like turned his back and walked away, referee waved off. It's like that's it, that's it. Like I said, I think most people kind of expected it to be a bit of a mismatch. But I'll uh, credit Smith that he's got a heart that's just as big as he is. But sadly, the power of Artur Biterbiev was just too much for him. I think Smith uh, certainly was game. But after he tasted the power that Artur has, he just went into survival mode. It's like he just abandoned the game plan. I was like, oh, God, you know, what do I do to survive this? And, 
Yeah. So the question is, this power that Artur Biederbiev has, which I said was too much for Joe Smith, is it going to possibly be too much for Dmitry Bivol? Bivol, as you know, coming off the biggest win of his career against Canelo Alvarez. He's got that WBA light heavyweight title. You've got uh, Peter Biev, who added the, he had the uh, sorry he had the IBF and the WBC titles, and he won Smith's WBO welter. Or why do I keep getting all the titles mixed up? But the WBO light heavyweight title. So sorry, the only fight that makes sense now is Bivol versus Peter Biev in a undisputed unification fight. It, it's got to take place. There's you know I think I think it's got a lot of drama involved. These fighters both had outstanding amateur careers. Uh, they're both Russians, but uh, I think Peter Biev is the smarter one because he's actually a Canadian citizen. He lives and trains out of Montreal. So out of these two Russians, I think it's obvious that Peter Biev is the smarter one. <laughs> That's funny. I hate Russia. So that was Artur Peter Biev's 18th fight. His 18th victory also by way of knockout. I, I'm going over his uh, boxing record. Uh, he's actually gone into the 12th round. It looks like only once, and that was all the way back in 2017. I actually, uh, when I was getting ready to record this podcast, I remembered, oh wait, I covered one of Peter Biev's early fights uh, on when he was fighting on PBC, I think it was, and... I think at the time I said that he looked like he could be a future opponent for Sergey Kovalev or Adonis Stevenson. Now, unfortunately, um, Adonis Stevenson had to retire after he was almost killed. But uh, Sergey Kovalev, gosh, you know, it's kind of like, God, where have you gone? Either way, moving on. And uh, you know, speaking of uh, two-round destructions... <laughs> That's right, children, run and hide. Now in a way, the monster. Wow. I I really did not expect the destruction that he put on Nonito Donaire. Because in 2019, the, the, the drama in Saitama named the fight of the year. I really thought that, you know, that would be the last we would see of Donaire, but it turns out that immediately afterwards, no, it's not the last we see of him because he's actually still winning world titles. In fact, uh, looking at his uh, boxing record, I was like, wait a minute, the last two fighters that he defeated, you know, uh, Raymar Gaballo and Nordain Ubali, I apologize for butchering those names, but, you know, I believe they were both undefeated and... Uh, it, it was against uh, Ubali. Again, I'm butchering the names. But I believe that Donaire became the oldest person to win the bantamweight title. You know, he was 38 years old. So you thought, or rather, I thought, okay, he said that he wouldn't take this fight against Inoue if he felt he had no chance of beating them. And if he's taking it, then obviously he's... He feels that he has a chance. But looking at it, you'd be like, oh my god, Like, did this guy have a chance? You would think, wait a minute. You apparently, I, I believe he uh, broke Inoue's orbital bone in the first fight. And also like uh, 
fractured his cheekbone or something like that. But it's like, where, where was that? What happened to Nonito Donaire? I don't know, but Inoue was on a destructive rampage. Now, uh, I heard that, um, or rather, um, apparently uh, Rachel Donaire, his wife, was training him for this fight. And it's kind of like, oh, wow, that's a real, um, a real change. But I, I would not be surprised if this was, was truly the last we saw of Nonito Donaire. In, in all honesty, I expected him to retire years ago. After he got knocked out by Nicholas Walters, a part of me wondered, okay, I, 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 I wonder if he's really done now. Because you have to remember, in 2012, that was kind of like his his big year. Everybody was just going nuts. I think every publication except for Ring Magazine named him Fighter of the Year. And Ring Magazine kind of did have a good case for not because of uh, Juan, Manuel, Juan Manuel Marquez's destructive knockout of Manny Pacquiao. But um, it, it seemed that it, you get into 2013... And he just loses, you know, it, the, the Rigondeaux fight. Yeah, it, it's just like, wow, what happened to Nanito? It, it just wasn't the same guy. And then he gets knocked out by Nicholas Walters. It's like, oh boy, this is the end. But no, he kept bouncing back and he would win win some, lose some. But, you know, he was still there. And the fact that he was still, you know, beating these, uh, these younger fighters... And again, like he's 39 years old and he's setting records like, oh, I'm the oldest man to win a bantamweight title. That's nuts. And, uh, yeah. So now, now in a way, is this destructive force? The question is, does this uh, knockout of uh, Donaire, does this make in a way the best pound for pound fighter in the world? Unfortunately. I kind of miss the days where we had Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather. Because when they were around, there there was a clear consensus. Like, this is the, the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. When Mayweather retired, everybody agreed. And I, I'm, when I say Mayweather retired, he had that retirement in 2008. But when that happened, it, it was a clear consensus. The best fighter in the world now is Manny Pacquiao. Great. But now that those guys have been gone from the sport for some time, there's a lot of debate about, okay, who is it? Some people say it's Terrence Crawford. Others might say it's Alexander Usyk. Some might say it's now Inoue. If you're the president of the WBC, you might have severe brain damage and say that it's still Canelo Alvarez, even though he lost to Dimitri Bivol. I'm not going to get it into that. I mean, I pray for that president's health every day. No, I don't. But, I don't know, I, I like, I, I wish there was a clear consensus. But then again, when there isn't this consensus, you get this, well, I say great, but, you know, it's happening on the internet. Nothing great happens there. But, you will get some spirited debates about people making their case for why their pick is the best fighter pound for pound in the world. It's very difficult for me to make a pick, unfortunately. I'm kind of terrible at that sort of thing, and admittedly, I have not been giving the sport all the attention that I would like to. However, I think a good case could be made for Inouye. I also think a good case could be made for Alexander Usyk. 
I don't know. And, you know, like I, I would I would love to hear any and all logical arguments, but please, if you're you know, Mauricio Suleiman or whoever the hell, don't tell me that it's Canelo, okay? You, you can't be the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world and be coming off of a loss. It, it just doesn't work that way. Moving on. Speaking of coming off of a loss, Anthony Joshua versus Alexander Usyk. Usyk beat Joshua, uh, it was last September in London, England. Uh... He be, I think he became the third cru, third undisputed cruiserweight champion to win a title or titles at heavyweight. Um, the previous two being David Hay and Evander Holyfield. Uh, Usyk uh, won the WBA, IBF, WBO, and IBO heavyweight titles. The person who holds the WBC title, Tyson Fury, he's still deciding whether or not he's retired or not. But we've got the rematch between Usyk and Joshua this August. It is being held in Saudi Arabia. And the funny thing is, there I've actually had people talking to me about this fight who... I don't know these people, but I th- th- this just happened to me a past weekend. I was getting uh, something done with my cable package, and the guy... You know, he just we, somehow we got into the subject of boxing. It's like, oh yeah, you know, like I like the sport. He's like, okay, so what about Anthony Joshua versus Alexander Usyk? And I'm like, oh, you know, and like I was listing reasons why it was an interesting fight. Uh, one of the reasons uh, being that Joshua has dropped Rob McCracken as his trainer. They've been working together since Joshua turned pro, I believe, and he's hired Robert Garcia as his new trainer. And Garcia has said that he wants to. Uh, make Joshua more aggressive. He wants Joshua to use his height, reach, and his weight to his advantage, which he wasn't doing in the first fight. But the guy said to me, no, 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 no. What I want to know about that is, why are they holding it in Saudi Arabia? And I'm like, uh, uh hmm, yeah, I, they do that. And then it clicked him. He's like, wait a minute. They... They held Joshua's rematch with Andy Ruiz in Saudi Arabia, too. And the guy, like, you could tell the, the wheels turning in his head, like, yeah, that's right. Why do they do that? And I don't want you people thinking, oh, just some white guy complaining that, you know, they're not holding it in, in a country full of white people. It's like, no, the guy's, the guy was Middle Eastern. He's like, I'm Muslim, but I don't get why they're holding it there. It's like, Saudi Arabia is not really a fighting country. It's... You know, it's a religious place, and it's just weird. And I said, yeah, like, why not Vegas? Why not London, England, where, you know, I don't know. But either way, I'm very excited about uh, Joshua bringing in a new trainer to maybe fix some things. Garcia has said that um, when he watched the first fight between Joshua and Usyk, he said that it was clearly the wrong game plan. Quote, I wouldn't even want to say it was a game plan. Maybe it was just the wrong instructions. Anthony is the type of fighter who listens to his corner, so he did what he was told, and it was totally wrong. But the way it looks now, he's listening to us, we have our meetings with him, and he's happy that we're working together. He's hungry again, and he's told us personally that he wants to do it for himself, but for us too. He said, you are going to deserve this win, and I want to do it for you. Unquote. That's that's exciting. You know, some people, some people might think, oh, you know, Anthony Joshua, he's just 
this generation's Audley Harrison. And it's like, well, no, it's, it's not that at all, okay? Some people have said, oh, he's this generation's Frank Bruno. I don't know what he is. I, I think we're a bit too quick to make snap judgments about how good or possibly how overrated something is. To get a bit off topic, I'm going to get into the subject of comic books. One of the uh, better-selling comics from DC, and there aren't a lot of them these days, is Nightwing by uh, Tom Taylor. And by issue three of that run, I, there were so many people saying, Oh, this is the best run ever! It's the best run since Chuck Dixon's run! And I'm just thinking, well, wait a minute, like, Chuck Dixon was the high standard of Nightwing books, and... This guy's only on the third issue, and you're already saying that it's just as good or better? You're not going to know how good something is until it's done. And even then, you're not going to have a clear picture. You probably won't know until two years or five years after he's done to really get an idea of how good or how overrated or how great he could have been. Okay, you're just not going to know. I mean, Lennox Lewis, there were probably some people... It's funny, going back, even after he had defeated Evander Holyfield twice, he had knocked out uh, Haseem Rotman, going into the Tyson fight, I kept seeing so many people say, oh, Lewis just doesn't have the heart. Lewis doesn't have the heart. And it's like, if he didn't have the heart, he wouldn't be... Where he is, okay, he would not have even tried getting up after getting knocked down by Rotman, okay? Like, no, I, you just don't know how good things are until it's done, and even then, you need at least uh, a good two years to really appreciate it, okay? I mean, Christ, look at Vladimir Klitschko and Vitaly Klitschko. Ugh. Now, some people have criticized... Uh, Joshua's decision to bring in Garcia as a trainer because he doesn't have a lot of experience working with heavyweights. My train of thought is, well, who cares? Honestly, I, I don't think that would make that big a difference. Personally, that, that that's just my view. I, I would say, like, oh, wow, he's working with Robert, Robert Garcia. That's pretty good. That, that That's going to be pretty exciting. Robert Garcia has done some great things. If he can do... For Anthony Joshua, what he was able to do for Marcos Maidana, great. I would love to see that for Joshua, and I would love to see that for the sport. Because if he can beat Usyk, become a three-time heavyweight champion, wow. You know, because then you get the, you, you want to see that third fight. It's like, okay, who's going to do it once and for all? Who's going to emerge as the better man? And meanwhile, you've, like, unfortunately... With Tyson Fury, um, you know, jumping back and forth between, oh, I'm retired, or maybe I'm not, it's kind of like, oh, you know, I, I kind of wish he would just make up his mind because I want to see him fight the winner. That's what I would really like. Okay, moving on, and let's get to some news that I really wanted to cover when I first heard it. Is Oscar De La Hoya planning to sell Golden Boy Promotions? It kind of blew my mind when I first uh, read it, but uh, I saw this unboxing scene. De La Hoya uh, apparently did an interview with ESPN, and he was thinking about selling this boxing company to potential investors. Quote, 
I'm sitting on a uh, billion dollar company and I uh, can't, can't, wait to get, can't wait to get rid of it. And most importantly, I can't wait to be the very first fighter ever to be inducted into the Hall of Fame as a promoter as well. Uh, these are uh, the goals I have. Uh, we're sitting on a gold mine. When I'm ready to get out, the time will come. But in the meantime, that's the reason I want to make these big fights happen. It's crucial. It's crucial for the sport. It's crucial for my company. It's crucial, most importantly, uh, for the fan base. Unquote. Wow, if Oscar De La Hoya wants to sell Golden Boy, it's kind of like, hmm, I wonder if there are any legal cases coming up that uh, suddenly make him think, oh gosh, you know, maybe I should sell off my assets because I'm going to need some hush money. Maybe he's looking at what's happened with Vince McMahon recently. He's like, oh God, I've got to make this go away, but I don't know if I have enough money for that. Hmm. And now there's talk that he wants to bury the hatchet with Dana White. Now, you'll probably remember uh, Dana White. I like to poke fun at, Dale, at Oscar De La Hoya. Dana White really hates Oscar De La Hoya. Like, some people might think, Andrew, you hate Oscar De La Hoya. It's like, no, I love that guy. I don't particularly like him, but I do love him. You know, it's kind of like how my father's relationship is with me. It's like, you don't. Know, you love the guy, but at the same time, you don't like him. So, Oscar has said that he would like to bury the hatchet with Dana with Dana White. Um, it all stemmed from some uh, De La Hoya staged an MMA event. I think that was that terrible event where he did a. Uh, it was either the third fight between Chuck Liddell and uh, Tito Ortiz. And that was happening at the same time that UFC was doing one of their promotions. And so they had a big uh, feud over that. Oh, and of course, De La Hoya also urged a boycott of the 2017 exhibition bout between Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor because... I, I It's probably because he hates Floyd Mayweather more. You know, he probably dislikes Dana White, or disliked Dana White at the time, but he really, really hates Floyd Mayweather. But according to a story on uh, Boxing Scene, uh, Oscar's ready to bury the hatchet. Quote, Dana uh, criticized me and all that uh, for a good reason. It's for a good reason. There were some exchanges going back and forth, me and Dana, which I apologize to him 1000%. I think there's still a lot of business to be done between me and Dana in the future. If he ever wants to talk and sit down, imagine merging our two powerhouses together and creating something together it would be pretty unique i would love to work with him i'm actually building a house in las vegas i'm going to move there full time to focus on my business and other businesses i have but yeah it would be a lot of fun interesting to build something together boxing is a very fragmented sport and uh what the fertita brothers did with dana and Dana did with the UFC is uh, incredible. I'm extending an olive branch, and I would love to sit down and talk and smooth things out. Let bygones be bygones, and then focus on business. Unquote. Wow. 
There's an old Vulcan proverb, only Nixon could go to China. Maybe only De La Hoya could go to Dana. That's actually pretty good. That, 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 that rolls off the tongue really well. Either way, um, I, I don't know. I, Dana White seems like the kind of guy who really loves to hold grudges. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's like, okay... Oscar may want to bury the hatchet. Dana may want to bury that hatchet into Oscar's skull. But uh, who knows? Maybe they can do something. Maybe, maybe Dana White's going to be the new owner of uh, Golden Boy Promotions. We're going to have to see. But uh, either way, that's all we have for you for this episode. I'm going on vacation very shortly. So uh, hopefully by the time I get back, there's going to be some new boxing news to talk about and for me to cover. We hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Boxing for Free podcast. You can find us online at www.boxingforfree.com. That's boxing, the number four, free.com. Twitter.com slash boxingforfree. Be like Arislandi Lara, Robert Guerrero, Berman Stavern, Millerad Zizek, Adonis Stevenson, Glenn Johnson. Wow, that's a lot of famous boxers and hundreds of others. And follow us on Twitter. Go to youtube.com slash boxingforfree and like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash boxingforfree page. You can subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, and several other podcast directories. If you use iTunes, give us a review and let everyone know that the Boxing for Free podcast is your source for boxing news and commentary. I'm Andrew Schweitzer. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in next time. Thanks. I only had to ask you like a billion times.